0: Our reading this morning is from Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and any sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the same, at the same of, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father.
1: Um, I did have a talk planned and just to share some sort of insights I think from my, my time away and what I feel the Lord was uh, directing me to but uh, with, with the uh, obvious uh, change uh, in our news uh, with the death of Queen Elizabeth II this, this week past I felt it was no longer appropriate uh, or timely to talk about those things and yet I think um, what I want to do instead is to, to try and touch on some of the things that you might be feeling As you turn on your TV screens and as you watch these uh, scenes, and and as the nation uh, mourns and remembers um, our our Queen. And what I want to do uh, this morning is is talk to you about uh, three features of an outstanding monarch. Three features of an outstanding monarch. And I I hope that it will just provide you with encouragement, with hope, uh, with with challenge. Um, What are those three features? And that we have seen so clearly in the life of of the Queen. Um, Well, first of all, number one, uh, an outstanding monarch brings unity. The second thing an outstanding monarch does is they show humility. And the third thing they do is stir hope. These are the things an outstanding monarch will do. And uh, it's worth having those verses that Louise just read to us from Philippians 2 in front of you because we're gonna be uh, referring to them as we go through. The first thing, the first feature of an outstanding monarch is that they bring unity, they bring unity. They have, they have this power that very few of us possess to draw people together and unite them you know, across the tracks. And we saw that in the life of, of Queen Elizabeth II. Um, she, you know, she has, on, on all accounts, some remarkable achievements under her belt over her long reign. And particularly, I think, uh, close to my mind anyway, and ours maybe too, is, is her activities on this island and, and what she has done, perhaps more recently, actually, than, than earlier on in her reign. And, and we think of her official state visit to the Republic in 2011. Uh, she was the first British monarch to do that for a, pretty much a century significant moment, uh, when you consider the history between the two, the two islands. And then, a, almost a year later, the iconic moment where she, this time in Belfast, in the Lyric Theatre, shook hands with Martin McGuinness, who, um, a, a, as you may know, was a former commander in the Irish Republican Army, the IRA, turned politician, the British monarch and a former commander of the IRA, shaking hands, just that sort of warmth that seemed to flow between the two, even just for a few, few seconds, a few words exchanged, but yet deeply significant in what they m- meant. Uh, an outstanding monarch can bring unity. You know, they, they have an ability to cross that divide, to break down barriers that we put up. That's what she achieved in her life, and yet al- al- also even in her death, there has been some form of, of unity that she has brought to us so to speak the nation has become many in the nation anyway have become unified with a sense of grief and sorrow at her death and and we've seen that and it's been remarkable when you when you when you think that it's across the political divide and divided it is at the moment and yet everybody is coming together to to honor and remember and pay respects Diverse voices from the international scene have been speaking uh, almost with a unified voice about what she has done and and the sorrow at her her death. Even the media, very unusual, are are united um, in expressing something of that national grief. She's brought people together, even in death. I think on a personal level, I'm not really sure how you stand when you, when you think of these things. But, but I, must, I must be completely honest. I don't think I've ever been especially bothered um, about the royal family in the past. I wouldn't say I've been anti-royal family, but I wouldn't say I've been necessarily interested in what they've been doing, and what they've been saying, and where they've been going. It just hasn't really bothered me all that much. And yet, one of the things I, I, I really have felt over the last few days, just listening and watching some things on TV and on. Um, online and stuff, I just am surprised at how sad I feel. And, um, you know, perhaps even a sense of loss that I wasn't expecting to have. And maybe you as well, you, you feel something, maybe of that sort of surprising sense of sadness, and perhaps in some ways you've entered into this sort of shared grief that our society is currently going through. There's unity in our sorrow. But I think the principle I'm trying to get to is this, <clears throat> the greater the influence of a monarch, the deeper the unity they can achieve. All right? The greater the influence of a monarch, king or queen, the deeper the unity they can achieve. And yet for all of her tremendous achievements as a, a queen, her uniting power is limited, it's, it's past or it's passing. We've just read in these verses a few moments ago the Apostle Paul pointing to a unity which is even more profound, even more far-reaching. He, he's been indicating a, a unity that he expects the world to see clearly, and to see clearly first and foremost modeled by us in the church And he describes this, um, I mean, it's remarkable in verse verse 2, for example, this kind of unity that he's talking about. It's a unity of being of the same mind, he says in verse 2, having the same love, being in full accord, that is, full agreement, and of one mind. That's that's, that's, that's a rich and deep unity that, that goes far beyond what even the best earthly leader can achieve. Where does it come from? according to the apostle paul he says in verse five he says it's yours in christ jesus this unity this commitment to unity this power for unity it's yours in christ jesus the king he's saying here to us in these verses that when christ is king he will bring unparalleled unity between people throughout the world The greater the influence, the deeper the unity. And and, and even beyond that, more so, (coughs) Paul is teaching us that we can actually get this unity today. We can can experience this profound, this beautiful, this deeply needed unity today. He says in verse 1, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Then you can have unity. He's saying if you have allegiance to Christ, the King, if you experience something of his saving power, if you know him, if you recognize him as King, this unity, he says, will be displayed throughout his subjects. This unity will be visible, says Paul. It will be seen by outsiders, it will be experienced by insiders. It will be a remarkable, deep, profound, life changing unity when christ jesus is king we see unity which crosses boundaries and breaks barriers like nothing else the world can ever experience but do you note even as you first glance at these words from philippians 2 this isn't a unity that comes as a result of coercion Or some kind of heavy-handed system that is pushed onto a group of people against their will. Unlike many examples in history and in our world right now. That kind of thing produces this outer conformity. You can learn to talk the talk, but it doesn't change you on the inside. We'll never get to the kind of unity that Paul is revealing here in this letter. But it's only when we follow Christ as the king, when we bend the knee to him, only when that happens that we'll have the power and and, and the drive and the incentive for that kind of unity. It'll be a unity like no other, a unity where there is no rivalry or conceit. It says in verse 3, there'll be no self-promotion, there'll be no self-protection, Others first. It's that kind of unity. My preference is last. And it spills out of us. It begins in the church who who bend the knee to Christ as King. And then we take that powerful unity with us into the world, into politics, into society. The world will see and experience the unity that only Christ the King can truly bring. Therefore, for us, it's not a case of orange or green. Republican or Loyalist, Irish or British, when Christ is king, barriers dissolve. Distinctions do not disappear necessarily. They just don't dominate. Jesus does. The unity that Queen Elizabeth attempted, that she desired and and she took steps towards, the King of Kings will completely bring it. The first feature of an outstanding monarch is that they bring unity. Second feature, then, we see in an outstanding monarch is that they show humility. You know, they, they demonstrate it with their lives. I think, I think it's quite remarkable, and I, I may be learning a lot of things about the Queen for the first time, and maybe, maybe you are too, just reading things and hearing things from the past, and and despite her her high office, I mean, it's the highest in in our land, the Queen, I I think, strangely never seems aloof or inaccessible. That sounds silly. Yes, she's the Queen. She sits on top of the social order, I suppose we could say. And yet somehow, she's one of us. She, She always came across to me as someone who is quiet and unassuming, even somewhat reserved. And she she wasn't a showy person beyond the the typical sort of pageantry that comes with her office. I was struck by uh, the text of the the radio broadcast that she gave to the Commonwealth um, as a 21-year-old princess. You've maybe heard these words this week. She declared to all those listening... All my life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service. In effect, she was saying, I'm here for you. I'm here to serve you. And on our TV screens over the years, we've seen scenes of the Queen moving along vast lines of people or meeting dignitaries or travelling to... Uh, far-flung places in the world, meeting important, powerful people, and yet also engaging with ordinary people like you and me. And a common testimony I've been hearing on the on the radio, like the phone-ins and everything, for those who actually met the Queen, either in her property or out on the street or wherever it was, people commonly say she put me at ease. You know, she just had a, had a way of speaking to me that made me... Relax, and I could engage with her and talk with her rather than being all stiff and uptight. Humility like that, I think, endears us to a leader. On one hand, the monarch of our realm is a million miles away from us, socially speaking, and yet in many sense, many of us anyway, felt a connection with her even from afar. We never knew her personally, obviously, but we felt a connection with her. Somehow, we thought to ourselves, she's for me. She's for us. She's for her people. (laughs) In Jesus, we have a king who is for us. And he came to us in the most spectacular way. Jesus Jesus. The king crossed an even greater divide than the queen going from the palace to the pavement. It says in verse 6, when when the apostle Paul is describing the humility of the king, Jesus himself, he said he was in the form of God in verse 6. He had equality with God. We cannot underestimate what we are dealing with when we hear these words. This one that Paul is pointing to, this great king, uh, the, the Lord Jesus himself, as he goes on to call him was god he he was the son of god he was fully god he was divine he's the eternal son He, he was with the father and the spirit before all things began and all things came into existence he was there all glory and praise and honor to him and yet paul goes on this is incredible he says yet he did not count this 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 status this position this equality a thing to be grasped that is a thing to be clung onto you know for his own advantage he didn't consider that to be a thing to be grasped instead it says in verse seven he made himself nothing he took on the form of a servant That happened when he took on human flesh he became one of us he took on human form so in jesus we have a king who didn't just come near and shuffle past us while we gave some flowers we have we have a king who became one of us he entered in so that he could know how you feel and he could know what's on your plate he was humble yet more comes It's like Paul adds layer upon layer, describing the the levels of humility. He says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Layer upon layer. See, this last piece of information that we get about the the humility of Jesus is so key, it's so crucial. Death on a cross. The son began far more exalted than we can possibly imagine. And and yet he ended up far more debased than any of us could ever experience. It said even death on a cross. That rings bells if you've maybe heard of this term before. or If you understand something about what the cross means. We talk about the cross. We sing about the cross. But the cross is not a nice place to be. It is the place of cursing. It is the place... Of a cursed death. If you die on a cross, that's the worst kind of death you could ever have because you have been totally cursed by God, cut off from Him, humiliated, shameful, ridiculed. That's how humble the King was. How would that happen to one who was so majestic, so glorious? Jesus, Why, why why would he do that? Well, here's why. Because Jesus, the king, he looked at you. And he said, all my life, whether it be long or short, shall be dedicated to your service. And then he came to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. We see these words in one of the ancient Hebrew prophets in Isaiah 53. Looking forward to the great king Jesus, the prophet saw this and said, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. on the cross the king put himself in your place he lived his short life in service for you you and me you deserve to be cursed I'm sorry but that's the way it is cut off Judged by God for your sin, for your mess, for your rebellion, for your screw-ups, for your pride, for your fake religion, for your violence, for your lies, for your selfishness, for the hardness of heart. That's where you belong. Instead, the king went there for you. He humbled himself. That's what we're reading here. We're indebted to the queen kind of love her in one sense because she stopped and had a chit chat with the audience how much more should we be in love with the high king of heaven who who came down from there and went to the cross for you has he not earned your heart does he not deserve all of your affections Should we not give him the worship and adoration with every beat of our hearts? Does he deserve any less? The answer is no, of course not. An outstanding monarch brings unity, we've seen that. An outstanding monarch shows humility and finally, an outstanding monarch stirs hope what a gift we need hope today amen it's possible to agree generally isn't it that the queen made the world a better place in some reasonably vague but genuine way she did she was able to rally the nation when needed Um, her christmas messages Christmas Day at 3 p.m. just formed the the staple of Christmas Day practices for countless families across the nation and beyond. And even during her public engagements, whether she was meeting um, other heads of states or, or leaders in other contexts, her speeches always came across as positive and optimistic, looking for the best in people, looking for the best in the world around her. And she was trying to grow hope in a a stronger future. Even a few years ago, during really the height of the COVID pandemic, she made a a rare TV address to the nation. You probably saw it. And and, and what she was trying to do was was to stir us, to give us hope, because she's an outstanding monarch. And she said this, we should take this is to, to the, the nation. She said, We should take comfort that while we may have still more to endure, better days will return. We will be with our friends again. We will be with our families again. We will meet again. Drawing on some of the, the terminology that was spoken during the Second World War, we'll meet again. But her, her message of hope Galvanized us. It it made us hope that, yes, she's right. One day we'll get past this and one day we'll be together with our friends and family that we've been separated from for what feels like an eternity. What is incredibly intriguing to me, though, and this is so poignant, just last month in August 2022, 3rd of August, she gave a speech to the leadership of the Church of England. At the Lambeth Conference in, in London. And she addressed them, and here's what she said. She said, Throughout my life, the messages, the message and teachings of Christ have been my guide, and in them I find hope. This is the Queen that we're talking about, unbeknownst to us and probably to her too. It was weeks later when she would eventually die of the ripe old age of 96. But I just think these words have even more weight and poignancy as a result of that. Her hope, she says, is not in the crown or in her family or in her nation or in the Commonwealth, as important as those things may be. Her hope is in Christ the King. She had a hope that extended beyond herself to someone greater. And in the text that we've been looking at this morning, we have the reason for her hope, our hope. We've we've seen how the king, how Jesus has has been humbled, how he died a, a cursed death for his people. And then Paul picks this up in verse 9 and says therefore God has highly exalted him Jesus the king and bestowed on him the name that is above every name because of his humble service Christ the king was given the greatest honors available the highest titles the most supreme authorities were bestowed Upon Jesus, the king. And of course it must be stated. They were not uh, given or or bestowed upon a dead king. They were given to one who was living. who, Who was risen. Who was victorious over death. Sometimes we can get a little confused maybe when we read this passage and and we might think to ourselves well was was he not great already was he not great to begin with how is it that he could be greater still or was there something not quite so great and maybe now he's great what what's gone on there is he not a marvelous king beforehand and the answer is yes he is it says here he was in the the, you know the, the form of god he had equality with god he was fully god can't get much greater than that And yet it says here, in view of his humble service, his self giving love, there are honours greater still. We've seen this play out literally yesterday on our TV screens. Charles, the, the oldest son of, of Queen Elizabeth II, for many years of his life was pr- the Prince of Wales, he was the next in line. And, and, and on the death of his mother and, and, and formally yesterday with the, the Privy Council that happened, everybody signed their names. He is now officially King Charles III. A greater honor has been bestowed upon him. He was the same person as he was the day before. He's still Charles, son of Elizabeth. But now he has a higher honor bestowed on him, the highest in the land, the highest we can give to him. And yet the name of Jesus The name of King Jesus and all the titles and all the honours are exponentially higher than anything that we can bestow on a human individual in our world. The name of Jesus is far beyond all honour and glory of any earthly king or leader. It says here that at the name of Jesus, because it is so weighty in glory and majesty and splendour, it says every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The whole, in other words, the whole created order, things seen and things unseen, will acknowledge the supreme splendor and majesty of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That is how tremendous, that is how wonderful he is. No earthly monarch can come close to the heights given to King Jesus. One day, Christ the King will receive complete and universal recognition in heaven and on earth. Those who are dead, those who are living, either want because they want to or because they have to but none will be in any doubt he is the king of kings and the lord of lords every knee shall bow but how does this uh, amazing thing how does this stir us to hope how does that give you hope this morning it gives you hope, it gives me hope Because when I read this, I realize that death is not the end. It gives me hope because I realize that it won't be like this forever. It gives me hope because the king brings his kingdom. And maybe you like Millions of other people this morning are experiencing sorrow and sadness at the loss of Queen Elizabeth and all that she represented and what she meant to so many people. And if you're, you're, you're coming in with this unusual heaviness in your heart this morning, for you there is hope. Even if you come into church and you're, you're hearing all these things about the the queen and on on TV and everything. You just can't get away from it. You're you're maybe just disillusioned. Maybe even have negativity towards the monarchy and the constitutional system and you just would rather it wasn't there at all. For you, there is hope. There is hope for a tremendous future because of the great king. There is hope for you despite the cost of living crisis that we are going through. There is hope for you despite the conflict in Ukraine. There is hope for you despite the division of our troubled history in our city and on our island. There is hope for you despite the upheaval of of yet another new government. There is hope for you despite your own issues and struggles and hardships and challenges, whatever they may be. There is hope for you because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords... How do you find that hope? How do you receive it? You find that hope by pledging your allegiance to Christ the King. When you bow the knee to him and you say, you are my Lord, you are my King. There is nothing else in my life that is greater that I'm willing to sacrifice for, only you. And when you look to him and when you say to him, you gave it all to me. And so you say to Jesus, All my life, whether it be long or short, I dedicate to your service. That's how you know you've pledged allegiance to Christ the King. King of kings, Lord of lords, thy kingdom come. Amen. Let's pray.